on this side of eternity. So that's the, that's the foundation of, I'm going to read some large portions of Scripture, and I know we pushed for time, 20 to 10. Um, so what I'm going to read, I want that to be built on the foundation of His good. You know, when Moses asks, show me your glory, um, the, the Lord reveals Himself to him, and He says, these, he says I'm the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love, full of mercy. And that's who he is. It's a, it's a part of him that we don't want to see, that the, the, the wrath of God is clothed in him being gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love, that he doesn't want to see one person separated from him for eternity. That's his heart, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. He's tender-hearted. I'm not. And he's kind, and he's always, always thinking the best of us because he's God. It's his nature. It's in his essence. He's discipline. He's discipline for us. A father disciplines a child that he loves. He's disciplined for us. The trials that we have, the testing and the tribulation and the fiery darts of the enemy, all of this to shape something in us that will reflect him because he loves us. Amen. Amen. So, on that note, we're heading towards, or we're in it, the festive season. We're going to start preparing some large meals, large roast lambs and gammons and um, some potato. And, you know, the one thing about the, the physical how we are physically here um, the, the, all, all, almost mirrors the spiritual. So what we, put into our, what we put into our bodies, you know, they say that you can't out-exercise bad nutrition. So I can have as much, or I can run as far as I want and do as many push-ups as I want, but if I've eaten 15,000 calories, I can't out-exercise bad nutrition. And it's the same in the spiritual. You, 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 you have to be putting in food, spiritual, good spiritual food in order to grow and not to become fat and overweight. And if we're not doing that, if we're not looking after ourselves in the, spirit, in the physical, no, not, that's not what I want to say. We need to look after ourselves in the physical, but even more so, even more so in the spiritual. Even more so the food that we're taking in. What are we consuming? What are we watching? What are we reading? How much time are we giving Him? How much time are we entering into His presence to see Him and to feed off who He is, the life that He gives? So I'm going to turn to, so as I said, I'm going to read two large portions of Scripture and two um, little joining Scriptures in between those two. So we're going to turn to Exodus 16, verses 1 to 3. So the context to this is um, God's people were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. God calls Moses to lead his people out of slavery, out of bondage, out of oppression. Uh, he calls Moses to set them free. They leave Egypt under miraculous conditions. You've got the angel of death passing over all the homes that didn't have the blood on the doors, and the, and the firstborn, every male firstborn was killed. 
and then uh, Pharaoh decides, okay, he wants the Jews out of Egypt. They leave Egypt. They take some uh, stock and possessions. They're, they're blessed by the Egyptians as they go. Get out. Here, take some of our stuff. And off they go into um, the promised land. That was the call that God was going to set them free into the promised land. Then they get to the end of the road, and there is the Egyptian army chasing them, chariots and weapons and spears and all sorts of stuff that can kill you, and they have nowhere to go. They're at the end of the road, and, but God has to now come and save them. The Red Sea opens, and there's, they reckon about one to two million people walk through the Red Sea. The Egyptians follow behind them through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea closes over the Egyptians, and it destroys the Egyptian army. Then that leads us now into Exodus 16, verses 1 to 3. Um, they're now setting out out of where they had landed, and it says on the 15th day of the second month. So it's two and a half months later. They've come through the Red Sea. Their supplies are now low. All the food that they had taken, they're in, they're in the wilderness. There's no crops, and there's no pick and pay, and shop right checkers, Butcheries and bakeries, they're in the desert called Sin. But I don't think it means that. But anyway, so they're in a desert. There's, there's, there, there is nothing happening there. Um, I'm going to read from verse 2. It says that in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses. And they said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into the desert to, instar, to starve us to death. So now you've just walked through the Red Sea. You're a bit hungry now. And you're like, we had pots of meat at the end of the whips of the Egyptians. But anyway, we were eating well. And that's all they can remember. And then, um, so there's this complete lack of faith and understanding of what God has just done. And what do they do? Their hearts are like, ah. Why don't you just feed us? Why don't you just kill us in Egypt rather? Because of the flesh stirring something inside. There's no revelation of faith like you've just saved us through the Red Sea. Give us food. And then verse 48, the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I'm going to test them to see that they're going to follow my instructions. Um, on the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in. And they had to bring in twice as much because the seventh day is a day of rest. Verse 6 says, Moses and Aaron said to them in the evening, you'll know that the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, um, you'll know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? You will know that it's the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread that you want in the morning because he has heard you grumbling. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but you're grumbling against the Lord. And I love that part. It says um, it, God is going to rain down bread from heaven. Who's ever seen rain or bread come down like rain? Now, that could be quite. <laughs> um, but the, the point here is that God's provision is a supernatural provision. It's not, as I say, it's not you going, it's not them pitch, pitching up and, and, and buying bread from someone. It is him. He's literally going to provide it supernaturally in a way that they can never. And it's also now to stir up faith in them again, to see that the God of glory, the King of glory is going to provide for them. I'm going to go through this quite quickly because I know I'm going to run out of time. Um, so he's going to rain down from heaven bread. And then verse 13 to 15, it says, In that, in that, ev that evening, 
quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared in the desert floor. When they saw this, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And then Moses says, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So this is like a supernatural miracle. There's dew on the ground, and when the dew lifts, there is food. There's this bread, and they say, what is it? And the, and the name manna um, sounds like the language of those days, if you had to say, what is that? What is it? Manna, manna, manna. It's manna. What is it? Um, and then... The people of Israel, okay, I haven't given you the scripture, I'm just going to read it. They called it manna. It was like coriander seed. It tasted like wafers made with honey. And they ate manna for 40 years. For 40 years. For 40 years, they ate manna and quail. How would that stir up your faith if the hand of God fed you, sustained you every day for 40 years? And it is that. It, I'm going to read scripture that's going to be that Jesus is that to us, that he will sustain us for every single day on this side of eternity and every single day. There won't be days. I don't know if there'll be days, maybe days and nights, but for, every, for all our time in eternity, we'll be sustained by the bread of heaven, King Jesus. Then... Um, Verse 19 to 28, Moses says to them, no one is to keep any, any of it until the morning. Verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until the morning, and it was full of maggots and began to stink. So Moses was angry. So even in that, now they're being fed, and there's a simple instruction, obey the Lord. Don't collect more than you need for the day, because there's a trusting, and we were speaking earlier about trusting God. You need to trust that He's going to provide for you every single day, that He's the King of heaven. The king of creation. He doesn't, we have no need to fear because we can trust him. He loves you. He's kind to you. He wants to provide for you. He, he will always give us a way out. That's his nature. And we have to trust that. It might not look like how you think it should look, but he will always deliver you. So obedience is the test of love. So it's not so much we obey him because he's the Lord, which we do, but we obey him because there's, re there's relational, he loves us and God, our response to you is that we love you and out of love I obey, I obey you. Because the Jews were very obedient, the, the Pharisees, they knew all the rules and regulations, but they, had no, they didn't have the love of God and that's what Jesus came, he was about that, that they had all the, the, the rules and regulations but not driven by this, there is a God that loves me. Each morning, they gathered, sorry, verse 21, they gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Um, and then it speaks again, verse 27, I don't think you can go straight there. Some, um, it, the Lord says, do not take, so each day you're going to take fresh, and on the sixth day you're going to take two days' worth. On any other day, the second day's worth would be stinky and full of maggots. But on the sixth day, another miracle, that wouldn't grow stinky and smell and be full of maggots because you, weren't, you wanted to honor the Sabbath. It was a day of rest. So God would provide a miracle for you on the sixth day so that extra that you took was going to last that you didn't have to work. How kind is He? He loves us. 
But still, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, verse 28, How long will they refuse, or how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? And that is for all of us. When, when the testing comes and it looks like there won't be enough, will you trust Him? And now I'm going to read quickly out of Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 to 3. It says, um, now this is God or Moses giving a summary of the 40 years. They're about now to enter the promised land. The manna has stopped. They need a, they're going to start eating the food out of the promised land. And it says, verse 1, Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, Be careful to follow every command I've given you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors. Verse 2, remember how the Lord God you, the Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what is in your heart. Think about your trials. Think about the testing. The God has led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble you and test you, to know what's in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And when they asked Jesus, what is the greatest command? What is the greatest command? And he said, the greatest command, all the rules, all the rules are summed up in this one thing, is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. And the Jews, and he was like, I brought you into the wilderness for 40 years. I fed you to test your heart and to humble you when you're hungry. Why is fasting such a thing? Why do we all hate fasting? Because it, it's, 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 it's humility. It brings humility. It's humiliating to that you're like, oh, and you can't resist it because you, your belly wants to eat. You can live without food for two weeks, but two hours, I'm like, what's in the fridge? And, and that, that time of testing where we have no physical nourishment, where we have to rely on Him, that's why fasting is so powerful. You're relying on the supernatural sustenance to sustain us. Is it good? Verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither, knew, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Have you heard that scripture before? And then verse 5, it says, Know that in your heart that a man disciplines his son, the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Now we're going to skip 1,300 years later. God steps out of eternity, steps out of glory, and takes the shape and the form of a man called Jesus. Matthew 4, verse 1 to 4. Jesus is now led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the, so the Holy Spirit, God has led Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's the biggest understatement written in the Bible. After 40 days of not eating, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus asked, answered him, it is written, it is actually written in Deuteronomy 8, which we've just read, man shall not live on bread alone, but on the every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what was wrong with this temptation? Why, why would it be wrong for Jesus, who is God, to go, I'm super hungry, I'll turn these rocks into bread? 
Would, uh, so the picture was Jesus has come and taken the form of a, of a man in submission to the Father. And the Father, the Spirit, had led him into the, into the wilderness for 40 days. And the Father hadn't said, you turn these rocks. So he said, everything I do, I, I hear, everything I do, and everything I say, I hear the Father say, and I hear the Father do. So he was full, full submission under the Father, as we should be, under full submission to God, what do you want me to do? And when temptation comes, temptation comes, is for us to rely on the Father. Lord, will you give me a way out of here? Not to short-circuit the process. Not to short-circuit the process. So for Jesus to go, okay, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm tapping out. And he starts eating. At any time, Jesus said, I could have called the legion of angels at any time to wipe out the guys that were crucifying him. He was fully, but he, 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 he humbled himself and he controlled the glory wrapped up in his flesh so that he wouldn't short-circuit the process that the Father had called him to come, live, sinless, die, and then be risen again. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the word, that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, this is what I was preparing to share. Jesus, the bread of life. John 6. So Declan read the scripture. I thought there was my whole preach gone, but he only touched the first few verses. John 6, verses 1 to 11. So we heard, um, and I'm just going to give some also context to this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. So now they've heard and they've seen this guy. There's something on him. Let's go, and, let's go and see what's going down. So there's 5,000 of them. It's a crowd. Now picture the Israelites coming out of Egypt in the wilderness. Now you've got Jesus in, in the wilderness. We're looking at these 5,000. He's going to show them now this, 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 the symbolism in what happened in the Old Testament, referring and pointing towards Jesus in the New Testament. Um, he looked up, he saw, verse 5, he looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he says, Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these people? Um, and Philip answered, verse 7, so this version said eight months, eight months wages would not buy enough bread. Um, Philip answered, oh, it's the same version. So I thought, how's Philip? He even worked out how, much, how, many, how many months' salary it's going to work. Like, oh, it's 5,000, one loaf bread per person. Oh, it's going to cost eight months. So... <laughs> I think I'm a bit like that. I always try and tie God into numbers, and, you know, I'm very pragmatic. Guys, we need to do this. Oh, well, this is the quick answer. This is the quick, easy way. Let's do it this way. And it's not so much um, what Jesus has planned all the time. Um, and then verse 8, we heard that there was a little boy who had, verse 11, then Jesus takes the loaves, and he gives thanks, and he breaks these, and he thanks the Father for the little bit that was given, and he distributes to those who are seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. So there it is, as much as you wanted. It's a come-eat-all-you-can buffet of barley bread and fish paste, basically. And they all ate their full, and they had as much as they wanted, and they were like, this is amazing. This is amazing. How is this guy? He heals the sick. He's provided manna for us for 40 years in the desert. 
and now he's provided uh, food and da, 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 but there's no, they don't see it. They see the physical. They see the great Christmas lamb and mutton, but they don't see him who is the author of life and the, the giver of life, the bread of life. Verse 14 to 15, it says, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come in the world. Uh, and Moses had prophesied that there would be a prophet that would come, with, would be like me. And they're saying, This is him. And it was him. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain. So they wanted to make him king to sort out all the issues. They wanted a king to sort out Eskom. They wanted a king to sort out the price of the food, the price of petrol, the political situation. They're like, well, give us a king. Sort, out this, sort this all out. And he was like, I am already a king. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. And I'm not going to let you make me the king to come and sort out your problems. So, this chapter, and I encourage you, homework, John 6, it is wild. He, he feeds the 5,000. I'm going to skip over this part. He then sends his disciples off after feeding the 5,000, and then a storm comes up, and he walks on the water. And they were like, there's a dude walking on the water. Who is this? And, and he says, Tazar. Tazar, Jesus. And they let him in the boat. Like, of course it's you. Hop in. And then it goes... It skips, I'm going to skip forward to now verse 25 to 35. Now the crowds are looking for him. They've been fed. They're a bit hungry the next day, I'm sure. He's healed all the sick. He's fed them. And they're like, where is he? They found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked him, when did you get here? And he said, I'm telling you the truth. You're looking at me. You're looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the bread and you had your full. So you're not interested in who I am. You just want me to sort out your problems. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to, to do the works that God requires? And he said, this is the work of God, and it is to believe. This is the work of God. It is to believe in the one who sent him. It's to trust. It's to eat from. It's to consume. It's to wrap your whole existence around the one who's going to give you eternal life. If we go through this life just looking at what's wrong around us, you're going to go insane. You need the Savior. You need to lift your eyes to see eternity, to see the hope that we have, the future that we have in him, the inheritance that we have in him. This life has to become small. The 80 years that we have has to diminish for the light of eternity, for the, for the glory of being with him forever. It has to. We have to decrease and he has to increase. Otherwise, you will live on Prozac and whatever other great medication the world will prescribe. But they will not prescribe the bread of life. This is the work of God. The work of God is this. Believe in the one that he has sent. In verse 30, they said, what miraculous signs are you going to give us so that we can believe? Um, and Jesus said to them, verse 32, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. The bread 
of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There is life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We only find true life in him. Nothing else will give you life except the bread of life, the one who is living water, the one who is the way, the one who is the truth, the one who is life. Um, verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 48 to 58, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So what is he saying? The, the, the bread of life is his flesh that he's going to give. So he's talking metaphorically. You know what a metaphor is? Life is a highway. Huh? You're the apple of my eye. Is that a metaphor? So he, he's saying that this is, this is my flesh. You need to eat of the fact that I'm going to give my, I'm gonna, my body's going to be broken and torn for you on the cross. And you need to eat of that thing. You need to see it. And for us, that is our nourishment over this time and forever. We need to see the, the body broken, the flesh torn. This is his flesh that he's going to give for the, for the world. This bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. And the Jews be, began to argue sharply amongst themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Is he a cannibal? Verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So he never, he never tones it down. These people are freaking out, like, what do you mean? I must eat your flesh and drink your blood. Are you sick? And he was like, well, unless you, don't, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're going to have no part in eternity. So he doesn't tone it down. He ramps it up. And then he says, you need the Father. All that the Father has called to me will come. Verse 55, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will remain in me and I'll remain in him. And just as the living Father sent me, I'll live because of the Father. And later on he goes to say that these words are spirit. And, this, and the spirit, the words of the spirit give life. So if you don't have the spirit inside of you, you won't understand what I'm talking about. And if the Father doesn't reveal to you the fact that I'm going to give my flesh and my blood for the sacrifice for the, for the sins of the world, you're not going to see it and you're not going to be able to accept that. Does that make sense to you guys? So if you're not understanding this, ask for the Spirit to reveal. What do you mean? Uh, and also over the years, they've taken the Scripture to say that when we break bread, and we're going to break bread later, is that it is not His physical body. You're not eating His flesh. The, word, the bread does not become His flesh. And the, and the drink doesn't become His blood. We're not going into the cannibalism, but it's symbolic to see. Does it make sense? We were doing this as symbolizing, Father, I see that you gave your son to be broken on the cross for my sin, and that he shed his blood, and I need to partake in this, understanding that his blood has washed my sin away. He's washed me and cleansed me. 
Otherwise, we will stand and give an account and, and, and we will pay the price for our own sin. What do you feed on for life? And I love this. This is uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's one of my favorite guys. I love reading his stuff. The, his, his command of the English language was so rich. And him tying it into the, the richness of the gospel. I love this. So this is what he says. He says, every man feeds on something or another. You see one man getting his Sunday newspaper. We don't do that anymore. How he will feed on that. How we feed on the news on Twitter and what's going on CNN and Another goes to frivolous amusements, and he feeds on those things. Another man feeds upon his business and upon the thought of his many cares. So what are you feeding yourself on? What are you feeding? And I know I go after, I look at, and I feed on the stuff of the world, and it just doesn't make me, and I realize just what a waste of time. All, all of that is poor, poor food, pure Poor food. All of that is poor food. It is only ashes and husks. If you did but possess true spiritual life, you would know the deep necessity there is of feeding upon Christ. So when we're eating, just always have this in your head. Father, am I going to feed on you today? Am I feeding? I know I'm going to give my body um, physical nourishment, but have I given myself good spiritual nourishment, feeding on the bread of life? I've run out of time. <clears throat> I'm going to land on this. Ponder on what I just said while I drink. Every man feeds on something or other. That is so true. Every man feeds on something or other. We're either going to feed on him or we're going to feed on just pass our time. Verse 60 to 63, I'm going to land on this thing. On hearing all of this, come and eat my flesh and drink my blood, and Jesus is not letting up. He's hammering this thing home. You know, you'd think to please the people, he'd go, no, 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 I don't mean that. I don't mean that. It's not what I meant. Come, don't go away. It's fine. Just stay, hang around. I'll do some more miracles. Watch me walk on water. He didn't. He was pushing this thing home, pushing, 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 and he's like that with us. The gospel is offensive. He loves us, but he's no pleaser of man. He's no pleaser of man. And then it says, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is hard. How, how can we accept this? Aware that his disciples were grumbling, and he said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? The gospel is offensive to us flesh. What if you see the, man the son of man ascend to where he was before? Verse 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. And this morning, even the words that have been spoken to you are spirit, and they're life. Verse 65 to 69, and he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. These things are hard. The gospel is hard. It offends the flesh. When you're telling people you shouldn't be sleeping with your girlfriend, you need to move out. It's offensive to the flesh because society tells us so many things are right that God says are wrong. They're not his ways. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. 
Verse 67, you don't want to leave too, do you? He asks the 12. And Simon Peter says this, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? If we don't go to Him, where are we going to go? He's the only one that has the life. He only has, he's the only one that has the words of eternal life. Let's stand. I remember a time when I just got saved, um, and I had a radical revelation of the Lord. I I was like, in love. I was in love with Jesus. I saw Him. I knew that He was truth, um, and He just tore me apart inside. He just radically changed everything inside me. I got delivered of demons and um, not even wanting him, just him being gracious and, and come and rescuing me. And I was trying to rebuild a, a broken marriage and trying to learn how to be a good father to my daughter that was then um, 9 or 11, between 9 and 11. And I started to grumble. I remember I couldn't do this anymore because the process is hard. And, he, and he, never, he never says that it's going to be easy. The, those 40 years in the desert it was, must have been tough. And even the 40 days of fasting, it's hard. And I, st- I remember grumbling, like, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I want to tap out of this thing. I, it's easier for me just to go back to the world, go back to what it was. Um, and I was moan, 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 moan. Oh, Egypt, we, we ate so much great food. And then I heard him come. He was like, Okay, go. I was like, what? Where am I going to go? <laughs> and then it just stopped me in my tracks. And, and the scripture, it just has also been part of this thing. Like, where do I go, God? You've got the words of eternal life. I tasted and seen that he was good. I tasted of him. And I couldn't turn back. We're on this road. You can't turn back. And you have to treasure him and eat from him and, and, and take all the nourishment you can out of his word and worship and fellowship. Live on the bread of life because you have no other choice. You have, there's no other place. So we're going to break bread this morning. We, as we do, I want you to remember the, the symbol, what you're doing is remembering him on the cross, his body broken, his flesh torn so that we could go free, and his blood poured out, that we would eat of his flesh and we would drink of his blood in remembrance of the, our great saving king of what he's done because he loves us, because he loves us. So they're going to lead us in a time of one song, worship. Go help yourself to communion.